and welcome everyone to Relative Pigeon Live at CBDNA. We are so excited to be here. Uh, before we start, we want to first welcome you to our, our village. That's what we say on our podcast. So now that you're in this room, you are now part of our village. So please tap Please tag along with all of us. We're gonna introduce ourselves a little bit. My name is Anthony Morris. Um, I am a current master's student at the University of Georgia. Before that, I taught six through 12, middle and, high, uh, middle and high school band choir. Lord have mercy blessed me, but I did it. <laughs> I did it. Um, and so that is a little bit about me. I'm going to my next. I'm Lauren Green. I'm a DMA candidate in flute performance at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I'm also the Seattle Arts Fellow for the Seattle Symphony early this year. And I'm Michael Brown. I'm the trumpet professor at University of North Georgia, and I'm an avid teacher and player in the area. Hi, I am Elia Sneed. I am a third-year DMA student at the University of South Carolina. Prior to this, I taught high school bands, and I'm looking back to getting out teaching here. Hey, y'all. Good morning. My name is Shari Williams. I'm a lecturer of bands here at the University of Georgia. Uh, before that, I taught high school band in Texas, middle school band in Texas, and. Yeehaw, so glad to be here. Hi everyone, my name is Emily Ang. I am currently a lecturer at the University of North Carolina Asheville, where I do a band and ensemble. I lead a songwriters ensemble. Um, prior to that, I was here at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> so it is great to be home. Absolutely. <laughs> So throughout the session, if you have any questions, um, feel free to scan this and drop them in the chat, and they will, the questions will go to whoever you have one of the questions to go to. Um, but the purpose of Relative Pitch started with the three of us in the summer of 2020, me, Michael, and Anthony, during the pandemic, and um, it was something we wanted to do to find an avenue to share our voice and share what our perspectives were, especially for being young, and also a lot of being underrepresented in multiple aspects. And this podcast just kind of bloomed into something that is kind of our child together. It's like a, a beautiful love child between all of us, but it grows every single, it grows every year because we have amazing guests who come on who add to our village. And the whole purpose is that we're sharing our perspective of change and what we want to see happen within the field. And it happens that a lot of our conversations center around music education. So it makes sense that a lot of our presentations that we give are centered around music education and the shifts and change we want to see within them. So with that, we want to start with talking about culture shift. So my first question for our amazing panel. So for the first, for the like past few years, especially we've been seeing a culture shift that is favoring the future over the past. Um, there's a resistance to this shift within many areas of music education and performance. Why do you think that is, and how do we push past the resistance? What are the and what are the resistors afraid of? I'll start. Why is there a resistance to a culture shift? Okay. Because a lot of times change can be scary, I think. And a lot of times when people are used to things being one way and you see things going, you know, in a completely different direction, they think it's erasure and it's really not. It's just inclusivity coming along. But like if you are at a certain level of privilege that where everything's all about you, people that look like you and what you know, the like inclusivity can be scary and it can feel like well they're trying to get rid of instead of we're trying to you know include and bring on so that's yeah yeah just to echo we are here i mean change is uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable and it, it requires us to do extra work it requires us to do extra research 
It requires extra effort. Uh, it requires challenging of our own methodologies and how we think and how we process things. Uh, I can remember when, uh, for an example, back at the University of Texas, the big uh, thing with our fight song or with our, our Longhorn band, whatever we do. And I mean, it uprooted a lot of things uh, about our institution and, and showed a lot of things about our institution that were bad. <laughs> and, and so that, that challenged a lot of my colleagues, a lot of our professors, they have to dig into their hearts and dig into their minds to say, well, okay, we gotta change some stuff and we gotta be intentional about that change and it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's not gonna be in the canon like we're used to. We're gonna have to go and develop curriculum that's gonna be inclusive, that's gonna uh, make sure that it gives a diverse thought and, and process to our students. So yeah, it can be uncomfortable, but it's necessary and, and it benefits everybody, you know? Yeah, yes. Um, I think underlying a lot of that is a relinquishing of power that must happen. I think you work really hard to establish your identity and what you think it means to you. Um, but to be to be vulnerable and to open your your heart and your mind to other ideas, you have to kind of put yourself um, in someone else's shoes and give up a little bit of your sense of authority to welcome others in and welcome in other voices. And I think that is that is a scary thing because we, we work hard to get to the next level in our field. Yeah. Um, and and you need to just kind of let others join with you as you get to those next level. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Like so definitely like exclusivity does not equal erasure. And that's just, yes. you know, that's the thing that I think everybody should keep in mind when things start getting uncomfortable. I think another thing that people are afraid of is the gray area. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of comfort in things being one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and to develop and to be open to change, you have to live in the discomfort of not knowing where things are gonna head next. Um, and so I think, I think that's also a scary thing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, <clears throat> to go about change, at times, it has to be really selfless. Sometimes you have to look at your students and be like, I know I'm the teacher and I'm up here right now, but what do y'all want? What do you want to do? And that removes you from being the authoritative figure at that moment or being like the leader. But you can't gatekeep as an educator. It's not a bank that you like, okay, here's your cash today, here's your cash today. It's like, it's this process of doing the good things. And back to Shari's point, um, change happens every year around New Year's. New Year's resolutions, and then how long do they stay? Not a long time. Because you can't just break old habits, you have to form new ones. Breaking old habits doesn't work. You have to form new ones that overtake the old habits. I feel like a lot of times we try to break, 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 and we don't build up what's new. So like we're in this gray area right now with music education, where we're like, okay, we need to change what we're doing. Okay, but what are we building up? What do we want to do? In every community, every state, every school is different. You can't look at what Frost School of Music did last night, or look at what UGA did, or look at what FAMU did, and be like, oh, I'm gonna do that at my university. Is that what your students need, or what your community needs? Mm -hmm. So you have to be very honest about what it is that you and your students need. What you said about need. I think sometimes we forget about the need of our students, and we think about, Emily, to your point about, what I need to get to the next level. 
So we put the need of our students, the people who really employ us. Like, I think we forget that the only reason we're here is the people that are in front of us. So if we start to put them in the background, we will cease to exist. Our fields cease to exist. Music will continue, but us as teachers, as educators, as performers, as musicians on this side of the podium, we will not be there. So we employ for everyone to really think of, my students need this, and how can I do this long-term, not a short-term? And I think that is the way the cultural reset will happen. Because I think we've kind of drifted away from that recently, or not recently, just over time. But everything kind of drifts away. And But it takes like a renaissance, a rebirth mm -hmm. sometimes. Out of darkness, out of chaos, things will finally come back to being light. So hopefully, we're getting back to that point. Yeah, and, and we talk a lot about how effective changes happen due to taking time to actually sit and think about what needs to happen. You see a lot of go, 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 action, action, without a lot of consideration of maybe what the action should be, or if you should be even doing anything, or maybe is it you who needs to be doing something different, your students, your program, or should you be considering your community? Um, so these are all things that we like to think about, and we also like to offer um, our audiences moment to reflect and think about what actually they consider to be their perspective um, on these topics. So we have an audience question we would like you all to answer, um, which is, do you think there is enough change happening within the music education field on a scale of one to five? Because we are saying there is change happening. Us being up here is obvious that change is happening, but how, how is it enough? How do you feel? So um, as you're filling that out, uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on to the next question for our panelists is, um, my big thing is looking at the past, looking at the future. So after sitting in a band room for seven years <coughs> and continuing to study in college, those are some of our formative years and what we do, it becomes second nature to fall back into the information that we learned, the information that we were taught. How do we as educators look at today's society and communities and forge a new path of breaking the cycle and creating a culture that reflects what today is and what musicians today face? Um, well, my thing is never stop being a student, right? So like as musicians, especially like, you know, here on the collegiate level, especially if we have to stay informed and it's really hard to become disconnected, you know, from, from high school. So like we gotta stay in there, get to those honor bands, you know, get to those band rooms, learn what the new culture is now because I can tell you like even now I'm, I'm you know I'm 38 but some of these like the Gen Z kids I'm like what is, what is happening I have to rely on my little sister you know to tell me like to kind of keep me informed of what's you know what's going on so but you can't you can't um, engage change or you can't foster change if you don't know what you're changing from and also like what you're changing to and never lose sight of yourself like as you know as a musician remember like we were all in fifth grade band you know before as a conductor i play trumpet as a conductor i think about you know if i was playing trumpet or if i was back there what would i need you know so like what would my students need from me because it's not about us you know like they said like anthony said like without the students we're not here and so without the students, what, what culture are we trying to change? Our culture? Like, we're already here, we're grown. And it's still gonna change, but however, they are, you know, like Whitney said, I believe. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, teach them well and let them lead the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I would just to echo or piggyback uh, rather what you were saying, Leah, is uh, figuring out, you know, how how to exist with our kids yeah. in this current generation. For example, I mean, with my conducting class, teaching them. I like learn what the new songs are each and every day. Mm -hmm. And so maybe every now and then you walked in where we're here, like Beyonce, and I'm te teaching a certain conducting technique or, or gesture or something just to be able to relate to them and understand how they go about, you know, understanding or how, can, how they can go about understanding uh, in a better way. So just figuring out what it is that they best relate to, that they best connect with, and putting that into how we go about instructing. Uh, putting that into how we go about thinking about things. Uh, reframing is what I like to call it. Yes. So how can we reframe uh, this current day and time so that our kids get the most out of their experiences with us? Uh, I know this is super cliche to say, but we do have to be the change. Uh, we hear it all the time. And so how we go about forming curriculum, how we go about programming, how we go about being intentional about going out into our communities. I know. Uh, Oftentimes we go into certain communities to get certain people with certain profiles. Mm -hmm. I think we have to be intentional about going into those underserved communities, those low socioeconomic communities, getting the talent. I, I grew up in South Georgia and not a lot of times that we see a lot of folks from those upper echelon universities come down to where we were. So that made us feel less than. But I can tell you what, now now that I, I have a position to be able to go into my communities that I grew up in and to get those, that talent, to let those folks know that they are appreciated, that they are valued, that they have abilities that can be fostered and cultivated, just by going into a band hall, right? Absolutely. Seeing these people and, and encouraging them to, you know, hey, it's possible. So being the change that we want to see and actually acting on that change. Talk about it, be about it. Actual items, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, Leah, I love what you said about always being a student. I think to be, to really create a culture that reflects community, you have to know your community, you have to contribute to the community, and you have to cre create your, your whole world around being a citizen of the place you are in. And so that means listening to the students that you have in front of you. Um, at UNC Asheville, um, there is a sort of a looser concert band culture. Um, a lot of my students are, are primarily jazz and contemporary musicians. Um, and so there, I, I know that they are itching to be creative. And I think I, I try to also instruct them in ways that foster the creativity, but also give them a sense of structure. So I think it's about a balance um, depending on where you are. Um, and yeah, I, sometimes in, in ensemble, I will take the students who really want to be creative and I'll put them with the students who they don't think that they're creative at all. I just sit in the clarinet section and I play, I just you know, play along and I want to be told what to do. But by bringing those two communities together that I know have strengths, um, together they form a whole new thing and are able to push each other in ways that are a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit in their own gray area. Um, and so I think that's a really, that's been a really helpful way that I've listened and responded in, in my own practice. I wanna uh, speak on a point that Dr. Williams made about being the change. Um, so I didn't realize, or maybe 
I've always said it on this podcast, a representation truly matters. But uh, recently I uploaded like my first TikTok video because you know that's what the kids are doing these days. And I didn't, I just thought, okay, I just want to show that I'm conducting, you know, that's it. Let alone I go do an honor band situation and the kids come up to me, I saw you. You were my first black person that I saw that I could see myself conducting. We can do this? Yes. Yes, you can. And um, we were at GMEA. Oh my God. We were at GMEA. Um, and a student who, were, who was doing the high school leadership experience, experience yep. uh, he found me in the, um, in the hall and he came up and he was like, just seeing you. I wasn't thinking about music. I wasn't thinking about doing it. But to see us in these positions, to see representation, to see someone break that seal of what it used to be, that is very much change. And I said that and I almost cried. I really did. I did. You know, it's, there, it's a lot more prevalent like than you really think. Just this past Tuesday, um, South Carolina, we, we visited um, Fayette County High School yeah. mm -hmm. and Myra comes up to me, she's like, Lee, I just really want to introduce um, you to, um, Scott, her name is Trinity. Mm -hmm. Like young um, black girl with locks and everything. And she was just like, I just really wanted to meet you because, oh my God, like I wasn't even, I, was, I wasn't even conducting. I was back there doing electronic stuff, <laughs> and, you know? And she was just like, I just, wow. Like I just, it's, it, I never see anybody that, that like, can we have a picture please? I'm like, and I was just like, you know? Yeah. So, but it, it, it happens so often. Like, especially like someone like me, I grew up, you know, North. I didn't see my first black band director until I came down to Georgia. Um, Barbara Baker was my first white band director. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's that that representation thing. It's it's real, and like I know people hear stories like, oh, did that really happen? Yeah, it does. Like literally, yes, <laughs> all the time. Um, yeah. I'll share a quick story, symphony side. Um, working at the Seattle Symphony has been really interesting um, because, especially Seattle in general, Washington does not have a huge population of African Americans to begin with, and so especially within that field. So we being on stage with them, and um, I do a lot of pre-concert lectures with them. I do a lot of a career in the arts panels where we have students from different communities come. And we recently, this actually Thursday before I got on this flight, did another career in the arts panel with them. Um, and there was a group from a studio in South King County, which is historically black, who came, and a lot of them came up to me afterwards, and they were like, we, we haven't really seen like people who look like me on a symphony stage. Um, and it meant a lot to me because these are students who can't really afford lessons, they barely can afford uh, less of um, instruments, and they see me, you know, at this point in my career, in my life, and they see themselves and they see the possibility. Um, so never underestimate how powerful, like one moment, one moment, like of you representation, what you can offer to show representation to your students, um, what that can mean to them. What you can offer. Um... I'm pretty sure we've all been in the CPNA concerts, like EGA did a fantastic thing with Ascendant Cycles, they have a link with Franca. Um, we had three local high schools that were in the audience, um, and I just remember all of them just going crazy, because they're like, band music we love, hip hop we love, okay, we mix together, and, and here, here's this art. Never knew that could happen. Yes, it can. So it's about the repertoire that we choose as well, that can really show our students, no, 
there is an outlet for you and for anything. And not just being a composer, not being a conductor, not being an educator, but there's music therapy. There's all of these other things in music that you could be. So please follow all of those. Let's encourage our students to be the best that they can be. Because right now, some of our students don't feel welcome in music. And I don't think none of us in here want any of our students to feel that way. Because we wouldn't be here. If we wouldn't be here if we didn't feel like we were soft. Like we were seen in those rooms. And that's why, back to Dr. Williams' point, just real quick, um, me and Anthony uh, went, we lived in Macon, Georgia, which is middle Georgia, and Dr. Williams did an honor band there last year, and just to see a person like Dr. Williams, who's so amazing, and know those kids and hear about their experience and see pictures being drawn of Dr. Williams on all of their school boards, which is amazing because I never had a clinician like Dr. Williams. And if I did, I would be like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you all the drawing. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, this takes us to our second question. Um, that's again, a self-evaluation. Oh, and yes, there. Um, it, rates you, it asks you to rate yourself on how much you feel like you have added to the change happening within the music education field. There's one thing to know that change is happening, but to be a part of it <coughs> is very different. Mm -hmm. Yes, and for after looking at our uh, results from the first poll, there were mainly threes uh, from, the, the gist was threes. Everyone's a little, mostly in the middle of there's change happening um, enough there are a few five, or there's one five, I think a uh, few ones, mo mainly threes and twos, um, just to give you a general understanding of where everyone thinks. So everyone, we know change is happening, but how is the question? And which brings me to my question of, so we've all been to all of these, you know, presentations at different conferences, and we hear the word change, or we hear, you know, we have to do better, but no one ever explains how to do it, when to do it, you know? Change doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. So my question for our panelists, uh, what does change actually look like in reality? And how can we go about that change from all levels, from elementary all the way up to the collegiate level and programming and diversity and all of that? Um, well, you're looking at change right now, okay? If you're in the room, listening, hearing the words that we're saying, and if you take something back with you, you are also the change. Um, anyone can be the change. It just takes a, an active mindset. It takes you know, not being passive about it. It takes some bravery. And change doesn't always have to be monumental. It can be as small as you, know, you, you grew up not understanding that people like to use different pronouns sometimes. Change can be, you know what? Okay, she, keep it at that, you know. Change happens in many different ways for many different people. And, you know, in order to build equity, which is what we're going for, not necessarily diversity, not necessarily inclusion, but we're looking for equity across the board and not just, you know, on race and gender, but also ability. <laughs> bless you, um, and everything like that, all right, we have to recognize that change does not necessarily mean just one thing, but change does mean do something different. Be very active in your thinking. Do not 
succumb to, you know, performative activism, <laughs> all right? Because we see a lot of that going on, you know, it's just the facade. Change is deep, change is internal, change is, is makes people very vulnerable, like you guys said earlier. That's just what it looks like to me, I'm sorry, go ahead. To echo, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> Actionable items, yes, and be they small or large, just actionable items, and being very intentional about what it is that we're doing, always, mm -hmm. all the time, um, and just again by being in the room, by asking ourselves the questions: How can we do better for humanity? How can we do better for for everything that we are gifted to to be a part of? How can we make that enhance that experience? for all living beings. And for me, I mean, and for everybody, you know, programming, I know we say that all the time, but yeah, what does that mean? You know, are, are we programming literature? Are, are we uh, commissioning folks to write specific pieces about specific things, about stuff that's going on in our society today? Uh, you know, what are we doing? Are we transcribing works? I know a, a, a part of my mission as far as giving back and changing the canon is introducing underrepresented composers. Folks that I had no idea about until I was 30 years old. For example, Samuel Coleridge Taylor. I had no idea about this human being until I was 30 years old. That was two years ago. Uh, and so just being aware, you know, and, and, and doing something <laughs> that's actionable. Going out into schools, going out into programs, applying for grants and research to, to do things, to get kids to the schools to bus kids into these schools. A lot of school districts, you know, don't have the monies to be able to do the things that a lot of folks in the metropolitan cities can do. And so how in the world can we like help that out? You know, how can we put that into our budget? Hey, director, hey, Dean, I wanna slot this money here so that we can go out and do some recruitment, so we can go out and do some activities that's gonna connect us with our community. That, that's, I wanna be connected with our community so we can know how to make sure that everybody has a seat at the table. Because that's the issue. For me, it's like everybody does not have a seat at the table. Or, or there's, there's an illusion of a seat. You know, but the, no, one's, no one's given that opportunity to say, hey, uh, you're welcome, you're, you're everything, or not everything, but what, what you have to say, what you have to think is valuable. Uh, we're here for you, we're here to help serve you in whatever capacity that is so that we all benefit, so that we all become a better human. So yeah, that's my, my spiel, my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I can, I'm going to speak for myself. For change in my life, I think there are some days that I don't realize how important my identity on the podium is to my students and I think for me, Change is stepping into that and feeling empowered in that, being a queer woman, biracial woman on the podium. I think owning that um, is, can, can speak a lot for my students. Um, I, I would have never thought I would have programmed a Pride concert in my first year, uh, but here we are. I'm, I, in, in March, we're, we're part of the Queer Studies Conference at UNC Asheville, and I think doing that um, it was scary for me. Um, I think now our, our students are a lot more open uh, at, at UNC Asheville. Uh, I think something like 
70% of our student body identifies as something other than straight, um, which is a, it is wonderful. And I take energy from, from my students. Um, and so I think being open to the change within yourself um, to, to be brave um, and, and do, do things that are outside of your own comfort zone. Um, I think that is, that is what change looks like because if, if we're the ones leading, we're the ones who have to take that brave venture out into the world. And I also just want to remind everybody real quick that change or inclusion does not equal erasure, like I said before. Like, look at look at um, Miami last night. Oh my gosh. So you had new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. But then we closed with some bands. Like, you know, change does not equal, inclusivity does not equal erasure. And something we you all have said is change. I see it as an internal deep thought. Yes. Before you try to inspire change to outside, you need to sit with yourself in a dark, deep room or, mm -hmm. you know, with a beverage, maybe, I don't know, maybe <laughs> with a libation, but truly think about what can I change in myself first? Because it's not until we think about ourselves first, in this sense, <coughs> as it is. Yeah. Let's think about how can I Maybe I could have said that different to that student. Maybe I could have handled that differently. I oh, I missed this pronoun for this student. I will get it better. Because so far it's been, I missed that person's pronoun on purpose. Or I missed that pronoun, oh well, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Yep, we have to stop doing that. We, we just have to. Our students are leaving. I, I, students have come up, I don't think I, just here with the music ed students, sometimes they just say, I don't know. You know, because they see so many people leaving this field, I'm like, uh, well, great. That means you about to have a job. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you about to have a job. So you, you inspire that change. You be the next people that is going to be sitting at the CBDNA table with a packed room. You be that person. So please, let's inspire our students to really shine. That's how we can be that change. But it really takes us having an inner thought first. Get uncomfortable. Get uncomfortable. I'll piggyback off of anything real quick. We have these conversations after, like I have these conversations after going into different band rooms in high schools, and band rooms be like, I wanna change this, I'm gonna do this better. They're really good at, we are all really good at assessing and be like, okay, we need to do this better. Very few take that step to sit with a legal pad and be like, this is what the steps look like. If I want to get, let's say you want to get your band to a state conference or whatever, what do the steps look like? How does your community get to that? Or I want my band to go out into the square of wherever city we are and have a packed house. What do the steps look like? You can assess all you want, but until you put an actual plan in front of you, nothing's ever going to happen. And so we want to... If you have any questions, please stand us. We have one that... Um... Someone asked, uh, how do you think the polarization surrounding the study of African-American history and education will impact music education? Oh, Lord, all right. Yeah, we gotta be quick. Yes. Right. Okay, <laughs> now, now we're the next one. Listen, polarization is because people are thinking that inclusivity equals erasure. Mm. If it wasn't that, there would be no polarization. Sorry, okay, I know we gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> And if here's the thing, please ask more questions because this conversation will never be over. And in fact, 
We have an episode every Wednesday. In fact, you are now part of Road to Pitch because we are filming this and this will go out on Wednesday. So please follow us on Apple, on Spotify, on YouTube, and that's where this will be uploaded. And we are going to continue to have these conversations. In fact, we're going to have a part two of this table right here where we answer the questions that you yes. asked. So please, please, please continue to ask questions. And thank you so much for joining us for uh, another episode of Rose and Bitch. <laughs> and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your CNA conference. Thank you so much.